previously at the Nexus. You've got to get yourself into some good trouble. That's diversity specialist Kim Crowder talking about what leaders need to do to change the discussion on diversity, equity, and racism in their workplaces. This becomes something that's embedded in the DNA of their workplace culture. Absolutely. Get into some good trouble. You can't be a bystander. And that's Michael Bach, director of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion, as well as the author of the new book, Birds of All Feathers. In it, he explores a variety of topics, such as why do a lot of companies' diversity programs fail? Or what do companies need to do to change their culture around DEI and have it mean something? And lastly, what risk do businesses face by doing nothing on diversity and inclusion? Michael Bach joins us to talk about all of those things here at The Nexus. The Nexus, a place where people converge and connect. On this podcast, we look at the things that are changing the way all of us do our jobs. We're going to take a quick peek into the minds of those people who are helping us change. Scientists, HR leaders, and experts in human performance. I'm Chris Nelson. Going through your book, Michael, you talk about the need for people to make a business case for diversity and inclusion. So why don't we make one right now? Yeah, there's a ton of data out there that shows the different positive impacts to various components of your business. There's a report by Deloitte out of Australia and the Victorian Opportunity Commission called Waiter, Is That Inclusion in My Soup? And they looked at the correlation of diversity and inclusion and employee engagement. In organizations that had a strong commitment to diversity, whose employees felt included, they saw a lift of 101% in employee engagement scores. There's another study out of Catalyst looking at financial performance of organizations with respect to gender on their boards, boards of directors. Organizations with more than three women on their boards of directors outperformed their competitors by 46% return on equity. I could fill a room full of research that shows the positive impact that diversity and inclusion can have, whether it's on reducing absenteeism, voluntary turnover, reduction in safety incidents, increased market share. You know, the statistics are all there. There is literally no research that shows it's there is a negative. There is opinion, but that is not research. In your book, you talk about you see two basic approaches to diversity and inclusion. Perhaps you could describe both for us. Yeah, so the, there's two sort of two models. One is the social justice model, which has been going on since the civil rights movements. And it essentially says that the straight, white, able-bodied man has to lose in order for everyone else to gain. And it is a model that has produced very little results. I think in large part because it requires that straight, able-bodied man to willingly give up power, to be completely selfless. And that just doesn't happen. So the model that I look at is around creativity and innovation. It's around problem solving. Coming up with the best solutions possible. The means to do that is diversity. When that straight, white, able-bodied man's CEO, of which they make up the vast majority of CEOs, certainly of FP and Fortune 1000 companies, when they see the benefit, when they see the work, they start to go, oh, right, this is, you know, this is good for our business. That ultimately ends up being good for people, which is exactly what we're trying to achieve. What does that innovative approach look like? I outline it in the book, and it's a bit of a roadmap. 
Step one is to write a business case. So what is the business case for your organization to focus on diversity and inclusion? That's a one to two page document that becomes your guide. It becomes your touchstone. So if you're ever wondering why you're doing it, you go back and it should stand the test of time. Step two is to do uh, some sort of current state assessment to understand what the problems are. Where are the issues in your organization? Amazing how few organizations do this, but you need to know where the problem is. You need to know what you're trying to solve for. So maybe you're trying to solve for a poor representation of a particular group within your organization. And then you have to write a strategy. So now that you know what the problems are, how are you going to solve them? That's step three. Step four is to execute on the strategy. And then step five is to measure the strategy. Understand there's a step six, and that is, as I describe it, rinse and repeat. After executing your strategy for a couple of years and doing some measurement, you're going to go back and do another assessment. It is such a direct empirical approach to addressing a problem that it almost kind of startles me to think that companies do not apply this approach to DNI. Why the resistance? What is the the thing that is holding us back? There are organizations that still look at diversity and inclusion as a program. And I put that in air quotes, although your listeners can't see me doing that, but assure you it is happening. And they look at it as this thing that you do like, oh, we just have to do this program and everything will be okay. And the reality is that diversity and inclusion isn't a program. It's something that layers over an entire organization. Everything you do as an organization, your facilities, your marketing and communications, your advertising, your suppliers, everything you do, IT, everything has a diversity and inclusion lens that should be applied to it. And I think the problem is most employers think of it as a program. And when the, the program, again, air quotes, doesn't succeed in solving all of their problems, they throw up their hands and say, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, which is a great segue to what I think is perhaps the most radical idea in the book. Stop thinking of diversity and inclusion as a program. Make it a work function. Make it a vertical within a business. Pull it out of HR. Tell us why you advocate for that. It's really simple. Like, would you have your legal department run by a volunteer? No, we have different leaders within these verticals in our organization because it's work. The best practice is to have a chief diversity officer at the executive level who reports to the CEO, who is responsible for overseeing that layer of diversity and inclusion as it touches every aspect of the organization, where you've got somebody constantly thinking about the impacts of your actions through a diversity and inclusion lens. If you're not thinking about it, if you don't have somebody whose job it is to apply that lens, then inevitably mistakes happen. It's a company in the States, they wanted to get into the Hispanic market. They spent a bunch of money on opening stores in predominantly Hispanic markets, in advertising in Spanish. On day one, when they opened the doors, people walked in and no one behind the desk spoke Spanish. None of their forms were in Spanish. And it caused a backlash in the community. And the reality is that the entire initiative was being driven by marketing and sales. And there was no chief diversity officer. They, in fact, didn't have any diversity and inclusion resources. And the end result was they spent a lot of money and got slapped hard. If they had had a chief diversity officer, somebody who was looking at this project and saying, yes, this is a great idea. We need to make sure that the staff are bilingual. 
that all of our forms are in Spanish, that our systems can be run in Spanish. We are looking at our talent attraction process and our talent management process that the entire leadership isn't all white. It's somebody who has that lens. The CDO keeps you out of trouble if you use them yes. proactively. And the CDO helps you to build your business. It helps you to be stronger as an organization, more productive, more profitable, have higher engagement, lower safety incidents, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything that you would recommend people do that they can try, that they can implement, regardless of where they are within a business? You mean aside from read my book? <laughs> so I just thought I'd slip that in there. If there's one piece of advice I would say is that diversity and inclusion is everyone's job. Everyone has the power to affect change, regardless of what level you are in the organization. Figure out one thing that you can do to make the workplace better, even if it's just within your sphere of influence. How can you make it more inclusive? It feels like people are so sensitive to the idea of offending someone else that it's easier to do nothing than to do something and get it wrong. How would you destigmatize that? I would say that's accurate. I assure you, doing nothing produces nothing. That's just the way it works. But if you think that there's a problem that needs to be solved, you may offend someone. And that's okay. This is change. It is classic change management. I think if you go into it with a solid business case, a solid argument, here's the data, here's the business case, here's why it's important for our organization, then as you go through this change exercise and you will encounter people that get offended, you can deal with them. I think this is a seminal moment. This is like a watershed moment in our society where you have to pick a side. And I, I'll use the argument of same-sex marriage because I think it's an important statistic. In 1999 or so, I forget the exact year, it was the late 90s, the percentage of people in Canada that felt that same-sex marriage was a good thing was like 40%. In 2016, I think, it was 80%. Well, if you do the math, people's opinions changed. They, they shifted their perspective. Michael, this has been so much fun. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Michael's book, Birds of All Feathers, is available now wherever you buy your books. And if you take Michael's advice and make DEI a separate unit within your business, well, that's a major transformation, the kind that the people at Nexus can support you with. Nexus has been helping clients for more than 20 years with industry-leading strategies, programs, and products. You can find us at nexuscommunications.com. That's N-E-X-U-S communications.com. And be sure to like us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to find us. I'm Chris Nelson. Thanks for listening.